I am Plata on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Angie Abdu joins me now. She's just published a new memoir, This One Wild Life, when uh, she realizes her once uh, lively young daughter has developed some shyness. She looks for something they can do together. In a previous book, Angie wrote about parenting a hockey player, her son. Now it's her daughter's turn at the heart of a book. It is decided that they would hike a peak a week over the summer would they bond in the bucolic woods of Fernie, British Columbia? What would they learn about each other? What would Angie learn about herself? I'll ask those questions as well as look at uh, whether the goals set are met. There's uh, also a lot of research that uh, Angie presents from books that she reads along the way. Angie Abdu is the author of five novel- novels, including The Bone Cage, which uh, was uh, CBC Canada Reads finalist and was the 2011-12 McEwen Book of the Year. Her memoir on hockey parenting was entitled Home Ice. She is also an associate professor of creative writing at Athabasca University. Her Twitter handle is at Angie underscore Abdu. This new book is published by ECW Press. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online Program, Angie Abdu. Ms. Abdu, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good yourself. Well, considering all things considered, <laughs> I never used to ask people how they were, but but over the last year or so, I guess you have to, um, yeah. because uh, everyone feels some something, even though they're fine. And we're all getting exhausted. I think like the fatigue is setting in after so it's such a long time of things being so strange. Did you, did you write? Um, uh, I shouldn't say write, but the events in this book, this one wild life. Did, did they happen? Was this before COVID? It was before COVID, and it's interesting to me, at least, because it seems um, it seems timely now. Because it's, the book is yeah. all about yeah. holidaying local, finding connection to the land, very close to where you live, getting away from people and out into the wilderness, like really making a bubble of your family and connecting to those closest to you, maybe at the expense of those far away. And so, these are themes that are suddenly really relevant to everybody in COVID times. And certainly prepared me for living through this weird time because it was a bit of a shift for me from the way I've been living before. Yeah. So, but no, it was written before COVID. And and how old was your daughter Katie? She was eight the summer that we went hiking in the first chapter, and mm-hmm. then I decided she made it to the top of Mount Fernie, and then I decided or we decided <laughs> the next summer we would try to do a peak a week. So she was nine the summer that is most of the book. It's fascinating. You said. Um you decided, and then you, you, you uh, corrected <laughs> yourself. Um, we'll, we'll talk about why you all decided to do to uh, hike, but um, this idea of hiking, um, was it largely your idea and then she bought into it, or, or did she have a say? I was looking for something for us to do together and bond, and we had gone out hiking just for fun that one day, and she was very proud of herself making it to the top of the mountain for uh-huh. It's quite an accomplishment for her age, and then... Um, and then I said, what about if next summer we try this? It was my idea. And I said, what do you think if I, you know, I had written a book about my son and I doing the hockey circuit. And so I said, what about if I write a book about me and you hiking? And I said to her, and so she liked the idea, but it was my idea. Yeah. And and we'll talk about that in just a second. I guess the, one of the reasons why you, you um, did this together was um, because, as you mentioned, um, you'd spend a lot of time with your son, Ollie, um, which is detailed in, in, in your previous book, Home Ice. Um, but by the way, w- when all that was happening, what was Katie up to? 
she was with her dad, and we're together. We're a family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but she was with him. She would stay home, and they would go skiing, and they would, they have a really wonderful relationship, a very special kind of connection. And and I didn't ever worry about it. I just thought, well, lots of families do a kind of divide and conquer approach to parenting, and. My husband was not interested in, at all in running around for hockey. He just said, we do not live in a mountain ski town so that we can go spend the whole weekend on highways and sit in hockey mm-hmm. rinks, and I'm not doing it. And I thought, you know, fair enough, except for, for me, I think passion comes from the kids, and if they really, really want to do something, I'm going to do whatever I can to help them. It's kind of a pay it back for my parents did that for me and supported me with my sporting goals so I said fine I'll do the hockey but we really did divide one reader came up to me in an event at Cranbrook after home ice was published and he said it's like your family he didn't know me at all other than reading my own book and he said it's like your divorce but living under the same roof <laughs> I thought oh dear <laughs> thank you for the insight stranger and he was, he was right we had really taken a divide and conquer approach a bit too far so then it did shock you, I guess, because you hadn't spent as much time as, as your husband, Marty, uh, with Katie, that um, it, it came back, I guess, from their new school, that um, she, um, I guess, um, I was going to say shy, but can we use that word? Because experts told you I not to, I think we right? can use the word shy. I know experts say you're not supposed to use the word shy because it, you know, I don't know, promotes a negative thing or it stigmatizes, but words are there for a reason, and no word completely captures a child, of course, but we all know what we mean when we say shy, right? She was very quiet, she didn't make eye contact, she found it hard to make friends, she was timid. And like you say, this was shocking to me. This was a complete disconnect from the daughter that I knew at home, but less of a disconnect to my husband who had spent time with her out in the world more than I had. So for, as you mentioned, Fernie's a ski town, so there's a lot to climb, I guess. Yeah, there is every direction. Yeah. There are beautiful mountains. And that's, I mean, I had been traveling so much from because of my writings mostly traveling around to do writing things and talks or teaching or whatever and and so just even just to say look out the window and say we don't need to go anywhere there's so much beauty right here and so we could every week find a beautiful new peak to hike quite easily so as we go on in your book what what became of katie and hiking i mean um, there's a great sense of accomplishment as we read in your book that she feels um did she enjoy it not always, and I think this anybody who's a parent will recognize this, you know, this grandiose idea, we're all going to have fun, no matter what, because I said so, right, <laughs> you come charging in with this plan, and it's not always taken up uh, by the kids the way you would imagine, the ideal and the reality are sometimes quite far apart, so it was an ambitious plan for a nine-year-old girl, and she got tired, and so... I had to, uh, at some point, reevaluate, you know, whose plan is this and what am I trying to achieve and is it still the right goal and can we achieve it other ways that she finds it more enjoyable. She really liked when the hiking was dangerous. Like mm. if we were up high and it was exposed and it was almost more like climbing, she liked it. But the long days of just a step after a step after a step wore on her and her legs were smaller than mine, shorter than mine, so it's harder for her. Yeah, and and so I'm wondering, was the goal really to do a peak a week, or or was it say to get a book out of it? Well, neither of those. I would say I would say the goal was to connect with my daughter, but I am, and just to spend a whole bunch of time together. But I'm a little bit, um, I'm goal oriented. I grew up as a competitive swimmer, swimming two hours every day before school and after school. So. It's hard for me just to say, okay, let's just relax this summer and hang out and spend time together. I need, I have to, I get all enthusiastic and come up with this super intense, driven plan, and that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to oppose that 
on our summer, and I did have to uh, learn to let go of that and pay more attention to what she would like to do if we were being together, and that was maybe one of the biggest lessons to me. It was a lesson not only for um, for parenting but and for you know outdoor recreation, but also uh-huh. it was kind of a lesson for the way I write, too. I would come at writing the same way, like the super intense, and I have a plan, I'm going to impose it on 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 whatever like i'm going to write three pages a day and it's going to end up i'm going to be finished by this day it's really intensely goal oriented and from that same sort of set of events i learned that i can just relax and listen to what bubbles up and what's interesting and what comes instead of driving at it so hard with the plan and as far as uh, like getting a book out of it i guess i mean yeah was that super motivating i wanted to do I wanted to have a, a book about my daughter because I had a book about my son, sure. and yeah, I was, yeah. you know, imagine them growing up and say, "Oh, I guess your son was worth writing about, but your daughter wasn't." <laughs> <laughs> so just for the sake of making Cersei knew that she is every bit as valuable to me as my boy is, I did want that companion book. And there's certainly lots to say about mother daughters and the way, yeah, the way mothers influence their daughters just without even trying, just by. Um, the way I act in the world will shape the way she acts in the world. The, the, the state of your marriage to Marty at the time, you, you describe it in the book as the dark years. Um, how did that affect the children? I mean, were you able to separate, say, you, you, your own personal relationship with that of, of, of the unit, the family unit, say? No, it was stressful for the kids. We had a couple really bad years, and they, they're sort of captured a bit in home ice, and... Um, and that's one of the reasons, another reason for the second book, because when I finished Home Ice, we weren't really out of the woods. And so people mm. will say to me, like, what happened to the marriage thread? And I'm like, well, it's not over yet. <laughs> I'll get back to you. But we have come around and things are much better. And so looking back, I think it's re- it was really stressful for the kids those years when we weren't getting along. And we would have very, you know, volatile arguments and they would worry, are we going to get divorced? You know, that's very, very threatening for children when they don't feel secure in their homes. So... So then I take on that extra guilt when I notice Katie suddenly becomes shy. I'm like, well, is it because the home life has been tumultuous? Is it because she doesn't feel secure? And, you know, there's so many reasons as a parent to feel guilty. But having that tumultuous relationship added to that. So I'm happy to say that that is in the past. Yeah. yeah I, I hate to spoil the book for people listening to us, but... Um, uh, what seems to me, as I've finished the book, I don't know you, um, it, it's a, a much happy. I don't know if it's a happier family, but it's certainly a stronger family. Mm-hmm. And really united. And I tried almost at first with my hiking plan, I think I tried to divide and conquer in the other way, right? Now you take Ollie and I'll take Katie. And, and in the end, that didn't work. We end up a lot of it we all do together, which was, which was a much better solution. Yeah, we do feel much stronger, much more laughing, much more all four of us together. Yeah. Um, it is a marvelous chapter in the book um, uh, of uh, an adventure you, you and the writer Yuvita Bidlovska took. Um, by the way, are you on speaking terms with one another? <laughs> Everybody asked me that. Everybody asked me, does she still talk to you? We are best of friends. Yes, I think we're probably forever bonded by that day because, you know, that um, it can go either way, but sometimes yeah. when people suffer together, it brings them together. And that was a, that could have been a, real disaster that day things went it's, you know it doesn't take very many wrong choices mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. in real trouble in the mountains and we made some poor decisions and we got in real trouble so i don't want to spoil it for people uh, listening to us because they ought to read it it's a, actually a very exciting chapter 
Um, what I found fascinating as I, as I was thinking about it was that there are details about that afternoon that um, I, you both remember that you shared, obviously, but that you remember differently. Um, and and you, you have different feelings about certain aspects of it. I mean, even even hearing a helicopter evokes feelings in her <laughs> as opposed to, you know, you, how you feel. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a marvelous way as well to see your relationship with, say, the outdoors as opposed to hers or um, how into it you are as opposed uh, to how she was. Yes, you know, so you'll find this interesting. She's written fiction about the day. So we both wrote about the day. She wrote about it in fiction, and I wrote about it in nonfiction. And Ah, her stories coming out in something called the Quarantine Journal or something like that. Mm -hmm. So she has fiction coming soon. (laughs) So, yeah, we we had a very different response. She says, um, oh, yeah, it's hard to talk about without giving too much away. um, I, I have, for her it was, best day of her life she said and I know what she means about that I know she means you know when you almost die and you don't die it's very <laughs> exhilarating and um, also it was very exciting right yeah, there are yeah. lots of big things happen that some people never experienced in their whole life that so was like thrilling for me by the end of the day I was just so I'll take boring any day over that kind of excitement <laughs> I think yeah. I called the chapter of praise of boring yeah. so so, very so, different response. As you've just said, it's a very different response. So, so I'm wondering if we asked Katie what her experience was throughout this year or so, um, would we get, say, a different answer? Oh, I think so. I mean, we talked about it a lot, and I talked about the research I was reading with her, and she knew, like, she knew I was writing the book the whole time, and she's read a couple of the chapters already. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Hmm, I wonder what she would focus on differently. I think someone is going to interview us both, which will be a challenge for her because she's still a little bit mm, introverted. Yeah. She meant she gets nervous but the, at first, so but she's really trying to be brave Katie, like she was in the book, so she wants to be involved um, in the release of the book. So she's actually going to do an interview. So wouldn't it be funny if she said she hated it all, <laughs> never wants to go hiking again? <laughs> but I don't think she's so keen to go outside. It's hard to drag her on an eight-hour hike or something, which is fair. But she loves being in the forest and the trees, and she loves adrenaline. Like, she would rather go climbing with her dad or, like, you know, bouldering or climbing or something where it's a danger of getting quite hurt. That seems to appeal to her more. I'm more of a feet-on-the-ground kind of person. Mm -hmm. And and this brings up a a point that I'm sure you've been asked about a lot, especially with the previous book, Home Ice. Um, The idea of writing about um, your children or other people even, um, what say do they have as to how they've been depicted in a book like this? Yeah, that's such a sticky ethical question, and it does. I lose sleep over it, to be honest. I like because on one hand, I tell myself I'm only writing about my children from a place of absolute love. So how could I possibly make that big of a mistake? Like I think they'll be okay with it, and they know the books are happening. But then on the other hand, of course, they were just little when I wrote. They're not old enough to give consent, and I'm putting their lives in a book and. At one point, I remember saying to Ollie when I wrote Home Ice, I said, I, right at the end, I changed it. He has my husband's last name, but right at the end, I changed it to Ollie Abdu. And I said to him, that's just a way of signaling that this isn't really you. Like, it's you as best as I can capture you at this moment for the mm-hmm. purposes of this book. But it's not you because I was fretting, right? So I told him that. And he was just like, Mom, if you're going to write about me, you could at least use my name. <laughs> so I just thought, oh, <laughs> I, can't do, I can't do anything right. 
Um, now, he has recently, he's 14, so he recently grabbed a copy out of my office and read it without telling me. He's, just, he's like, oh, I read your book. It's good. I like it. And that was it. I'm like, I worried for three years what you're going to say, and that's all you have to say. <laughs> so it's really around my house. It's not a big deal. And, I mean, with home ice, I, like, it, it was, um, like you said, very exposed our marriage at a, not a pleasant time. So... I would have never published that if I didn't have my husband's okay. I fully gave him full veto. I gave it to him to read, and I said, if you don't want me to publish this, I won't, or if you want me to take anything out, I will. Of course, right? My relationship is more important than a book, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. I fret about the kids, if it was, if it's the right thing to do or not. What but, is, you know, people write yeah. fiction with their family very thinly disguised. Is that better? Sure. Yeah. Right? So we yeah. write from what preoccupies us we write about what we care about we write about what we want to understand better and there's nothing i care about or want to understand more than my own family and then hopefully through that readers as i struggle to explore my own family life in this wacky contemporary world hopefully i create a space and an honesty um a willingness for readers to do the same with their life not so that they're reading the book just so they can find out about my life because who cares but it gives them a parallel and i bring in the research and they have that space to think deeply about their own family life is the idea so so when readers would come up to you and, and say um that um your books are relatable does does that confer um a little more responsibility say because i mean inevitably people will be reading your book looking for answers won't they i wonder about that and i when i'm writing that's really interesting because when I'm writing every once in a while I think oh am I supposed to be giving people answers because <laughs> I, I think no it's not self-help memoir is not self-help right it's more sure. I tell myself I'm going to give them different ideas like here's the thing I did wrong and here's what I learned from it here's the question I had and here's something I found in the research that I found helpful here's but then bring it I think the difference also with memoir is that um, you know I have an obligation to entertain the reader whether it's through um, an exciting chapter like the Yavita chapter or through being a bit funny or through, like, good characterizations or interesting dialogue. So it's it's that mix of storytelling, bringing in some research, bringing in some lessons, and sometimes just admitting I don't, I, I don't have the answers. I did it wrong. Here's what, it's not, here's what you should not do <laughs> if, if you're looking for that kind of advice. But it's different than self-help. And I have to remind myself that when I'm writing. Because as soon as I start going towards the, okay, I'm going to now give you the answer and this is self-help, I just find it so banal. And that's not the kind of book that I like to read. I really like to read memoir. And so I ask myself, why? And it's that um, Carol Shields quote always comes back to me, that you should write as if you're whispering in your best friend's ear. Mm. And it's kind of an intimacy and an honesty that I'm looking for. Just an honesty, what it feels like to be human and fallible and vulnerable and all those things and and someone who wants to talk about it at a deep level and i just i think there's so many places you can find great storytelling now whether it's netflix or movies but the book is still the thing that captures interiority and and that uh intimacy like one person speaking to you right about their experience of what it feels like to be human so that's kind of a rambling answer but i guess i guess at the core of what I think about when I'm writing is why it's a long answer. I keep thinking, why? Like, who cares? Who cares about my life? And that's what I come back to. So what is it like to, to, to write books, say, about yourself, but live in a small town? A nightmare. Mm. <laughs> Just a nightmare. Who would do that, right? The population 
is like 5,000, 6,000 people here. And so I, you know, the other day my neighbor asked for a book, and I just, as I'm handing it to her, I think, I don't want my neighbor to read this. Or, you know, I write things in the book that I wouldn't tell my own mom and dad. And yeah, yeah. The shopkeepers downtown have read it. It's such a <laughs> weird, so I, it's, not, it's not a sensible way to live. But I guess, um, I guess the only answer to that is that I want to be a writer more than I want to be, protect my privacy. Like I'm more, and it's, well, it's not, not being a writer as in, like, the, you know, having my name in the newspaper or whatever, but the process of writing. And I couldn't, like, I mean, I guess you could say, why not just do that? Why not write your family story and not publish it? Like, if, if it's only for the sake of learning about life and thinking about how you live. Mm-hmm. But it's the whole process that, is, that interests me. Like, I would never work that hard in a book to not publish. Like if I weren't going to publish it, so you work very hard yeah. in the book because you're going to publish it, and that's where you get the deeper insights and the better writing. And then also, I like connecting. Like I do like connecting with readers. I like when I get the emails that people say this book meant something to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, do you write memoir differently than you would say fiction? Um, I wrote fiction first, and then memoir is new to me. This is last two books from the last few years. I think I write it quite similarly like I have to go to a sort of place I have to write every day mm-hmm. and so there's momentum I can't write without momentum I don't have to write very much every day but enough every day that it's in my head and I'm thinking about it all the time kind of obsessively and then I have to make myself write a few page certain number of pages every day whether it's three or five because um I don't ever want to, and it always seems terrible. But then when I come back to it, it's never quite as terrible as I think it is. So it's just a matter of piling up the pages, the first draft. Mm-hmm. I think you know, the thing I like about fiction that doesn't happen as much in memoir is I like being surprised. I like after a day of writing when you think, where did that even come from? And I can't, I don't even know. Like the characters say and do things and become people that I never even imagined. That I didn't, I don't know what, what part of my brain is that's coming from. I find that very very cool <laughs> it's just kind of magical and that of course doesn't happen in memoir but what i like about memoir is um it changes the way i'm living my life as i'm living it for the better mm-hmm. like all that reflection can't help but change the way i do things yeah. and i like that i like that part of it that it has an immediate yeah. real world effect as writing about, say, the ugliness of, of the Internet and social media, I mean, you, you, you're quite candid in the book about a couple of controversies that, that, have, have, uh, that you've experienced over the last few years. Um, has that changed your relationship with, with using social media, using Facebook, using Twitter and the sort? Yes, I call myself on it. I mean, it's so addictive, right? It, it's just, it, I find myself pulled to it, especially with a new book. It's just, what do they think? What do they think? Do they like it? Do they like it? And it's their instant access to people having things to say about my book. And so it's so uh, narcissistic in a way and so such a waste of time. So, But because I've written about it and thought about it deeply, I call myself on it when I feel myself being pulled to the phone or pulled to Twitter or pulled to Facebook. But it's such a... We're in a bind as a writer because I don't think I could say I'm not going to be on social media. I feel like part of the job description to be mm-hmm. available and be promoting my books. So I feel like the healthiest thing would be to go off Facebook and go off Twitter and go off Instagram and just live my life without worrying about whether or not people like it, <laughs> without worrying about the likes and the comments and the shares. But um, I don't think that's quite realistic in 2021 20, for a writer to think that they could do that. 
very few, like the very, very most successful writers cannot be out there promoting, but I think most of us are expected to be on there promoting. So I really try to manage it in the various ways I talk about in the book, which involves hiding my phone on myself, mm-hmm. telling my kids to call me on it if I spend more than a certain amount of time. But, um, yeah, I don't want to spend my life looking at this little shiny rectangle in my palm. There's better things to look at. What do you tell your children about social media? I mean, considering your own experience, I mean, um, I guess they're, they're, they're young enough where, where it's not a big part, but it's also, I mean, invariably it is a part of one's life, isn't it? Yeah, and what they're starting to notice with my prompting, I admit, is that things that are fun in a way that they remember are things that they've worked hard for. So... If they climb a mountain, for example, that's something that they remember years later and are proud of it as a good memory. Or if we go uh, canoe bowering lakes, that's uh, something that was hard at times, was really fun at times, was a huge challenge, and they remember it. But they, if they spend two hours on road, roadblocks or whatever that game is called, yeah. it seems fun, but it's not even memorable. Or if they spend you know, two hours on FaceTime with their friend, again, it seems fun at the time, but it's not memorable. So I've heard them say variations on that, that, it's, that something that they have to kind of work hard for is more is more fun or more real or that they remember it later. So I think they're starting to get that that screen time is the easiest thing to do. The very, and there's all kinds of things they're drawn to their screens for. But that it's um, not a significant use of time. Or it's not a memorable use of time. Or it's not something they'll look back on fondly. So they're getting, and we just talk, we talk a lot about that in, in the house, of course. And then we have to be try, like everyone else, all the rules. Like, you can only mm-hmm. have an hour, you can't do it in the evening, you can only do this, you can only do that. But it's a constant battle. Yeah, I guess that, that, that might frustrate um, readers um, about how, how much, say, real estate, uh, social media um, took over in your, in your mind. Um, because even when it was at its worst, uh, you would... Um, ask Marty to look at his phone and tell you what he saw, right? Isn't that terrible? I can't look, but you look, yes. Yes, and it's not, it's, it's, um, you know, it used to only matter, I assume, what people thought about you in your immediate family, in your immediate sure. workplace, in your immediate, immediate communi- community, the people you had access to, but suddenly... Everybody in the world has a right to an opinion, and you have instant access access to it. So when people flare up around social media, and it's just a click of the phone to see how many people hate you, or are angry at you, or are yelling at you, it's hard to just turn it off and say, "Well, I'm just not going to look." And then it's as if it's not there. It's like a tree falling in the forest, right? Yeah. If nobody's there, yeah. is it really? Except for it can have detrimental effects. And, and so, Even so if I don't look. Yeah. So, so the the, the um, I don't know how much of this I should be asking, but but in in terms of um, your relationship with it now, and say relationships with other people, um, you obviously have have some regrets, and you've talked to those people specifically. Um, mm-hmm. What what's emerged then in terms of, of say a balance between say healthy use and 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 not going back to before even. Yeah, I really focus on the positive connections that I can make on social media. So I'm connected to readers, which mm-hmm. is nice. And I'm um, I'm connected to, I have a, a huge family all over the place that I wouldn't be connected to without social media. So I focus on those kind of things. I 
use it to share positive book news. I use it to share. I do a lot of reviews of other people's books. I do a monthly column on Daybreak Alberta CBC, so I use it to share that. So I use it only to share good book news mostly, and I just I've realized what it's not good for, and it's not good for um, talking about complex ideas. It's not good about talking about things that are still in flux and nobody knows the right answers anymore. It's not good for, you know, I don't have to be everybody in the world's friend on it. <laughs> so, mm. so I've just sort of drawn boundaries, and if someone says something um, aggressive or hostile to me, I don't have to respond to that, so I can just leave it. Mm. So I think there's some, sometimes it's like there's bots that just spin a, there's an insult wheel, and they just spin it and get four phrases and string them together and put them in a tweet, and it's like, I don't even know if that makes sense. <laughs> it looks like it hit on all the high notes. <laughs> so there's no need to respond to those things. And I just, I really listen to my body. And as soon as my uh, time on social media is making me feel unpleasant in any way, I just put it away. Yeah. That's one thing I've gotten very good at. It's like, okay, this doesn't feel good anymore. This is going away. And being out. And I try to get yeah, my kids to sure. pay attention to their moods because they can tell if they're on their phones too long. They feel gross. Mm-hmm. And if they come back from exercising outside, they feel fantastic. It's very clear. Yeah, I guess being outdoors, being in the wilderness, I mean, that um, doesn't afford you much time on, you know, with with your device. And it does. Uh, in fact, it's great. We go uh, off self service, and that's the best. It's, it's uh, you know, I guess that's a statement in itself that you have to go so far away <laughs> to get <laughs> self service to get off your phone. But but it is very one of the best parts of those trips. The marvelous lessons that you learn about yourself, about your family, yeah, over the course of uh, the experiences in this book. I- is there something about the outdoors, hiking especially, that's taught you about yourself that you wish you knew before? Yeah, that I'm not very important. That I'm not very, that I'm very, very small and not very important. Because when I'm out in the wilderness and it's so big and you look up at these mountains and they've been there for so long and they will continue to be there for so long after I'm gone and then I think of whatever it is that's troubling me or worrying me and it doesn't matter it just it's so small and that's very liberating to uh realize yeah, a sense yeah. of perspective I guess perspective and proportion yeah. finally Angie um what did Marty think of the book he liked it. So we had, during those dark years, we didn't, I didn't share my writing as much or in the same way. And before that, he used to read everything that I um, have written. Right back from my first novel, The Bone Cage, was about competitive swimmers, and he and I met on a competitive swim team. So he's always been, and then my second novel was about ski bums, and he was a ski bum. So he's always been very involved in my writing process. But mm-hmm. then when things went a little sour, he wasn't for a while. But this book, he read every chapter as soon as I wrote it. So he read it when it was still, the ink wasn't dry yet, so to speak. You know, it was very rough, and he he loved it. He's very supportive, and, you know, I appreciate that more than I can say. Well, I appreciate your time today. I've kept you longer than I said I would, but there was just a great deal in this book that I, I um, wanted to talk to you about. Uh, congratulations uh, on the book, and good luck with it. Thanks for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. The book is called This One Wild Life. It is published by ECW Press. Angie Abdu joined me from uh, Fernie, British Columbia in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planto.